Today's episode of Section 422 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. These guys are barrels of fun. And then I just went like total like George Brett Pine Tar. This is section 422. On the athletic. Welcome to the Section 422 podcast, episode number 53. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. It is Monday, April 6th. On this episode, we are very pleased to be joined by Sophia Minert, Brewers reporter from Fox Sports Wisconsin. We're going to talk to Sophia about a variety of topics, including ways she's been passing the time during this isolation period, favorite Brewers classics to rewatch as you're looking back at old games. We'll get a feel for how some of the new members of the roster were beginning to mesh before things shut down a few weeks ago. And we'll talk about Sophia's career, just getting started in broadcasting in some ways that if you're out there looking for a job or you're going through that transition phase, you might be able to set yourself up for some success. We are very pleased to be joined in Section 422 by Sophia Minner from Fox Sports Wisconsin. Sophia, let's start with the simple question that I feel like has become more important with everybody we talk to day to day now. How are you doing in all of this uh, with the adjustment to you know, life at home right now? Yeah, I think that's probably the best word is adjustment. Um, I think everybody is feeling that on a personal level, professionally, uh, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, just kind of even day to day. Um Fortunately, you know, I'm doing well. I'm in Milwaukee, um, and where I came back pretty much right away from spring training uh, once they shut things down with baseball. And so that's where I've been. Um, you know, I'm kind of waiting it out like everybody else, following the protocols that are out there, uh, trying to stay productive and trying, trying to stay connected where I can. Um, but it's definitely, definitely a bizarre time uh, in our world right now. In, in the context of just the baseball season, it was a really interesting timing just because we were right there in terms of the start of the baseball season on the brink of opening day, about two weeks out, just that. I wanted to ask you just about your bigger takeaways on the team. I know obviously so much will change going forward. We have no idea about that. But what were some of your, like, your bigger takeaways just from being around the team in spring training and particularly your thoughts on the newcomers because there were so many new acquisitions on this team? Yeah, and, and I think it's it's kind of interesting because at the start of spring training, I think you know Craig Council's message to the team right away, and I think it was true for everyone that was there at spring training in Arizona, was like, let's make new friends because there were a lot of new people to meet. Um, you know, the, the turnover was a major storyline coming into spring training, and as the team was getting closer to opening day, um, I mean, the infield was going to look totally different. You had a new catcher in Omar Narvaez. You added another outfield in Avisayil Garcia. Um, you know, Josh Lindblom. Brett Anderson, Eric Lauer, they were all new additions to the starting rotation. 
And so, you know, one of the cornerstones that the brewers have kind of built this foundation and with, with David Stearns and with Craig Council has been competition. And I think that was especially prevalent um, in spring training, specifically with the pitching staff. You know, there was competition in the back end of the starting rotation. Uh, there was co- certainly competition in the bullpen. Um, there were very few sort of locks in the bullpen. And we know that the way that the Brewers manage their bullpen, it's always very fluid. Um, and it was fun. You know, the, the deeper that you got into spring training, it was fun to see some of these newcomers start to perform. You know, the, the starting pitchers were getting into their normal five-day rotation. Some of the position players, guys like Logan Morrison, who was hitting the cover off of the ball, um, were making great impressions. Uh, and you're getting to know these guys and you're getting to see like, okay, what is, what is this team going to look like? What could a lineup look like day to day? What could the defense look like day to day? How creative can they be with their pitching? Um, I think we were all really looking forward to getting answers to those questions. It felt about as deep of a team as the Brewers have had recently, kind of across the board. And so I think there was, there was a lot of excitement to sort of see how all of these new pieces to the puzzle we're going to come together and obviously how that would change, you know, opening day and moving on into the season. I think one of the things that's really struck me from afar is the clubhouse chemistry, even in the wake of some moves that internally were probably unpopular at the time, going back to last season. I mean, Hernan Perez being designated for assignment and Jesus Aguilar being traded. I mean, those types of shakeups in a clubhouse can be really difficult for a team to handle and it just seems like council does an outstanding job of really balancing things out kind of keeping things laid back in the clubhouse but what kinds of things were you seeing this spring to infuse the the new players with uh, the kind of core players who've been here for the last couple of seasons yeah i think i think you're right i think that the chemistry the connection that they talk about so often that has certainly become an identity of this team, I would say going back even to 2017, um, it's just been, again, it's, it's part of their foundation of what they think makes an organization and a team and a clubhouse successful. And it shows up on the field. You know, I, I remember just as, as a specific example, like when Yasmani Grandal joined the team from the Dodgers last year, remember that his most recent experience against the Brewers was in the NLCS. And so he really got an up-close look at this team, having played against them seven games in the NLCS. And he said, you know, it was obvious across the dugout. He said it was obvious how much that chemistry, that connection, you know, they played for each other. You know, you, you hear guys talk about that as kind of buzzwords, but he said it was obvious, like, on the opposing side. Now, he shared, like, personally, I felt we had more talent than they did, he said, but the way that they were so connected, they were on this run, they had everything going, right? The things like the home run gauntlet and some of the stuff that they would do in the dugout. He was like, it does kind of make you put you on your heels of like, wow, okay, this team's like got it going, right? They, they are, you know, they're confident, they play for each other, they believe in each other, they pick each other up. And I think all of that matters. Um, when you, when opposing players and people on other teams start to recognize that as an identity of your team, and, and Craig Council, you know, year to year, he always says, right, like, it's a new team. It's a new group. You can't compare to what last year's clubhouse was, last year's team was. He's got this great analogy where he says, you know, every season and every team is like soup. 
you know, you want to try to use a lot of the same ingredients, but ultimately the mix is different every year. You add a little of this, you add a little of that, you maybe take some things away. And even though your, your recipe may be relatively the same, um, the soup tastes a little different, you know? And I think that that analogy works. And I think specifically for this team, uh, there were a lot of new ingredients, but, you know, guys like Josh Lindblom, great personality, Brett Anderson, really like dry, sarcastic humor, um, was kind of ready to buy into that role of even being a new guy, being a veteran on this starting rotation. Um, and then, you know, I think the thing that kind of got lost as well, considering all of the turnover and all of the new people was you still had a really good core there of guys that had been there the last couple of seasons. I mean, Christian Yelich, obviously at the top of that list, but guys like Locaine, who makes you laugh on a daily basis, Ryan Braun, of course, the veteran that he is, um, guys like Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader, Keston Hira, I mean, Corey Knebel, I mean, you can go on. There were a number of guys that were still very much going to be a, a very significant piece of this core um, and part of the identity of this team that, you know, it was easy to kind of forget that, I think, considering all the new faces. But I, I have no doubt that this team was going to kind of come together in a similar way. And and guys are buying in, you know, guys are buying in of like, this, this is going to be a different looking lineup and a different looking defense day to day and and let's embrace that that's a great point and i think that people sort of overlook the idea of how young some of those members of the core are too when you talk about a brendan woodruff or keston hero or even aviasel garcia for that matter who's really just entering his prime years um i was also like you very much looking forward to learning a little bit more about these guys personalities and we were right there we were learning a lot and then all of a sudden there was stoppage of course um and i was just kind of curious with what we've seen on twitter the brewers have done a pretty good job of sort of relaying how guys have stayed busy or just entertaining ways that they've stayed busy with their families i was wondering if there was any sort of guys that sort of jumped out to you any anybody in particular that you kind of got a kick out of as far as interesting ways that they've stayed busy during this time i mean i think the players with kids right i think i think more so than anything like you forget that with what we see from them on the field, like it is obvious they are in the, you know, top 1% of athletes in the world, right. With what we get to watch them do on a daily basis. And I think being around them every day, you know, for fans, I think it's, it's easy to forget they're, they're real people, like they're, they're dads, they're husbands, uh, they have kids, you know, they've got families at home, like they're, they're real people. And I think, right now because they're home and they're doing all the same things that we're doing. Um, this is the most relatable. I think that they'll ever be to, to fans right now. Um, you know, they're, they're reading books to their kids. They're doing dance parties with their kids. I mean, low posting videos of using his kids in his workouts. Um, I mean, it, I think it's great to see that side of them, to see them open up like that. You don't always get to see that. Um, I've been tested Hira as well. I mean, he got engaged. He got a dog. He's having a great, I guess, quarantine, so to speak. Uh, that sounds odd to say, but I mean, why not? I guess get engaged and get a dog. I mean, that's, those are two great things to happen in your life. So, um, yeah, I think it's been fun to see them kind of show that side, maybe, you know, whether it's with their kids, their shows that they're watching, how they're staying in shape. Um, they're having to get creative just like us in terms of, you know, finding different throwing partners or 
throwing programs, you know, whether it's throwing in a room in their house or finding a public park somewhere. So um, I think, I think it's cool. I think it kind of makes them feel very relatable to the rest of the fan base. Absolutely. And, you know, in the absence of live baseball, Fox Sports Wisconsin has been running Brewers Classics to fill the void without live games. WTMJ has been re-airing some of the radio calls from uh, classic Brewers games as well. Uh, as you think back at, at games either that you covered or even prior to that, what is your favorite Brewers Classic to revisit when you're really missing baseball at a time like this? Yeah, um, I will say it's it's funny to kind of get to see these games re-air. Like you know, on what would have been opening day on March 26th, they re-aired the opening day game from last year, which was so great. Um, I mean, it, it ends, of course, with Lorenzo Cain's home run robbing catch. Um, it was just about as like dramatic and exciting of an opening day win as you could have, let alone against the division rival. So I definitely watched that one. I will say it's weird to watch the games that you work. Um, there were definitely things that happened in that game that I had forgotten about, or I don't know, it's just kind of funny to see the product on air. Like we just don't always get to see it. So um, I did enjoy watching that one. I enjoyed watching the no hitter, um, Juan Nieves and, and Bill Schroeder who caught that game. And for as long as I've known rock and worked with him, I've heard so many different stories about that game and heard him talk about it. But quite frankly, I had never seen the whole thing start to finish. So it was cool to see that, um, texted a lot back and forth with him about that game. Um, I think for me, just like the, the game that I will forever remember having worked was game 163 um, at Wrigley Field for obvious reasons. And I think it just, it was just the culmination of this incredible run that this team put together um, really against all odds. And for them to, you know, win the division in a tie-breaking game on the road against their arch rival uh, with so many Brewers fans in attendance. Um, I mean, honestly, when, when the team won on 163 and was celebrating, there were so many Brewers fans behind the Brewers dugout. It sort of felt like a home game. Like, it didn't feel like you were on the road at Wrigley Field. Um, so, I mean, there's been so many great games. Fortunately, the way that the team has performed, you know, the last, three years with, with back-to-back postseason appearances, there's been so many great games. Um, and I, I value all of them. So it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of watch some of those games come back and, and some of the older games that frankly, I, you know, have never had an opportunity to see start to finish. Yeah. You remember the highlights maybe, or you've seen them on the video board at various points, but seeing those games in their entirety is really cool. And there's there's kind of a lost era of Brewers baseball for me. I moved to Wisconsin when I was in eighth grade, so it was the 98 season was really kind of where my Brewers fandom uh, as a kid kind of started. Anything before that, basically anything with Robin Yount or Paul Molitor is all highlights for right. me. So having the chance to go back and watch right. them and to watch the 82 team, you know, those are, are really great opportunities, uh, albeit I wish the circumstances were different, but the a chance to go back and right. watch some of the greats is, is really nice. Uh, I would follow up about game 163. It kind of sounds like that might be one of your favorite moments on the job so far since you joined the Fox Sports Wisconsin crew a few years back. And it really sounded like almost a home game for the Brewers. It was like the script was yeah. flipped because I think a lot of times Brewers fans are frustrated either at Miller Park when they're watching the Brewers and Cubs play a game at Miller Park. They they hear Cubs fans just roaring and it's it's Mm-hmm. It's unsettling, right? But how was that from 
your perspective, being in the position of, of being on the field to kind of hear that on the road at Wrigley, no less. Yeah. And I think that's what made it so cool. Cause I mean, remember like it was played on Monday at gosh, noon or one o'clock. I mean, there was not a lot of turnaround, you know, there had been uh, let's see game one sixty two was Sunday against the Detroit Tigers. The Brewers had to win and sweep that series to force the tie breaking game. They did that. And then we immediately got on a bus and went right to Chicago and prepared for game one sixty three, um, which again was a day game. So really, it was less than a twenty four hour window that fans had to, you know, make a commitment, buy the tickets. I, I, there was a different like ticket buying procedure in place, I think, for that game. Uh, so, for, but Brewers fans again, they they showed up on a Monday afternoon to Wrigley Field. I'll never forget how loud they were during that game. I mean, Orlando Arcia had a great game. Alicia Steen was on the mound. I mean, just it played out obviously as well as they could have hoped for. And then for them to ultimately win that game on the road again, the celebration on the field. I mean there were so many fans there. You, you didn't feel like you were at Wrigley field. Now I can't imagine what it would have been like at Miller park. I think the playoffs were a good indication of, of how passionate and how crazy those fans were at Miller park for the playoff series that came after that. But yeah, that just the, the way that it kind of all ended. Um, it was just it was, the way that the team had been playing in September Honestly, I think everybody went to Wrigley and went to game 163 with like absolutely no doubt that they were going to win that game. And I know it sounds crazy, but like, I just remember having this feeling of like talking to the guys before the game, seeing them on the field. Like there was nobody had any doubt that they were winning that game. And then when they went into the clubhouse um, as sort of a a sign of how confident they were that they were going to win the game they had already had champagne bottles engraved with 2018 NL central champions made for Craig council and David Stearns and Mark Adonacio, um, which was just so cool to see them present that to them in the Wrigley clubhouse from the celebration that came after that. So it was just, it was a really cool day. Uh, one of those days that you don't forget. And I was just kind of lucky to be a part of the ride, so to speak. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I don't know if you had noticed, Sophia, but Miller Park recently won a best park in an MLB style tournament. This was done via yeah. like C- CBS Sports. And with all the talk about Miller Park and just how great the fans do um, as far as supporting the Brewers, we were wondering, obviously, you've probably been to pretty much every seat there is on the field. But what's your favorite thing about Miller Park? Gosh, the roof. For one, <laughs> if I'm going to be perfectly honest, um, I mean, I like I'm a Wisconsin girl, right? So I grew up going to games at County Stadium as a kid. And I'm sure like every other kid who grew up going to games at County Stadium, like I, my parents put us in like winter coats, sometimes even snow pants, right? To go to a game in April, like it'd be freezing and windy. and But that's what you did to, to go to the game. So um, I will say that having the roof is a huge, huge, huge advantage just in terms of obviously weather, climate control, schedule, no rainouts, all of that, like all of that matters when you're doing a long regular season. Um, and, and aside from that, obviously it's, it's the fans, you know, I think 
the attendance numbers speak for themselves. They've been top 10 in attendance for I don't even know how many years now. Um, they drew almost 3 million people last year. Um, and I think that's the part that, you know, we're all going to miss, you know, in this period is like how many fans are are missing their experience at Miller Park, right? Like the season ticket holders or the people that are going to a game for a first time, um, you know, the people that want to show up and see what Christian Yelich can do that day, uh, the tailgating. Like, I think it's just, it's such a unique, um, a unique place. I think the tailgating provides a really special environment. Um, it's a really comfortable place to watch a baseball game. I think it's great for kids because they can walk the concourses. They've got kids areas. I mean, you can walk the whole perimeter of the stadium. So I just think, um, even for casual fans, I say, you know, it's worth making a trip to Miller Park uh, just to just to tailgate, just to take it in. You're going to be comfortable. You're going to enjoy a great game. They do a great job with their in-game entertainment. Um, that's one thing that Mark Adonacio and, you know, the Brewers business office has made a priority is just creating a great, unique, memorable fan experience. And I think, you know, even fans from visiting teams will say that if you come to Miller Park, you're going to have a good experience. Love the practical answer there on the roof. Um, but what about on the that road? That stuff matters. You know, you know that stuff matters. Oh yeah, I mean, and I'm coming from Florida, so I'm I'm super thankful for its existence. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what about on the road for you, Sophia? Is there any place that you sort of circle every season, or that you look forward to going to the most? Yeah, I would. Well, I haven't been to every stadium yet, but I would say that my favorites. Um, I always love going to Dodger Stadium in LA. And I think just because it's one of those just classic historic ballparks that is still beautifully maintained. Um, just the view of Chavez Ravine when you when you walk in on that top level and you're looking down. Um, great fan environment, of course. Um, I, I think, you know, having been there for the NLCS and seeing it in a playoff atmosphere was really cool. Um, I just, I appreciate the history of that stadium, um, and the view and, and the weather. And the, I, I just, I really enjoy, uh, working games there. And then I would say within our division, um, within the NL central, I love PNC park in Pittsburgh. I tell fans too, I'm like, you know, I, I get that kind of question a lot of what's your favorite park or what parks you recommend that fans visit. And I, I have to say PNC park, it's, you know, if you want to make a road trip of it or or hit a couple stops, um, Pittsburgh and PNC, I just, I like the ballpark. I like having, you know, the Allegheny and, and the skyline in the background. Again, it's very comfortable. Uh, you do have to prepare for rain because it feels like it rains every time that we go to Pittsburgh. Uh, there's always some sort of delay, it feels like. But I do, I enjoy making that walk from the hotel across the Clemente Bridge and getting to PNC. Um, I just, I, I always enjoy the time there too. Yeah, I would second your recommendation of PNC within the division, especially. It's it's beautiful. You can see the views on TV, but somehow TV doesn't even do it justice. And it's just, it's a little bit unexpected too. I mean, you just don't think of Pittsburgh as I one agree. of those places that would look like that, but it's, it's gorgeous. And um, I did it as a road trip uh, probably five or six summers ago. And I think it was Cincinnati first, stayed a night there up to Pittsburgh, saw a game, stayed an extra day, and then back to Cleveland for a matinee. It took about five days oh, total. Nice. And that was a pretty good loop. Like if you're if you're okay with five and six hour drives like every day, every other day, you can knock out three parks like that in less than a week. 
Uh, and, and even just compared to Cincinnati, which is also a, a nice newer park, it just seemed like Pittsburgh was a cut above. Uh, there was something about the hospitality yeah. uh, of, of the people working in the stadium, too, that really kind of stood out to me. It almost felt like Southern hospitality in a big league ballpark. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's totally worth the trip. I think the views are beautiful. Again, I like being able to, to walk there. You can walk, you know, along the river and still see kind of the outfield. Um, it's just, it's one that I always recommend to fans. And then I think they always come away and they're like, you're right. Like that's underrated. I wouldn't have expected that. Um, but again, I, I just think it's, it's a cool fan experience and, you know, you, there's plenty of opportunities to go there. So hopefully fans can make it out at some point. Now we mentioned Brewers classics and rewatching old games is something that you know we're all doing as we miss baseball. But everybody is looking for new shows, new books, new podcasts, new things to get into you know, while we're stuck at home. What else have you been watching to help pass the time? Are you into Tiger King or do you got some other shows you've been binging <laughs> on? Yeah, I will say that um, I did watch Tiger King, and then uh, Christian Yelich posted that photo of himself, basically photoshopped as. Joe Exotic, and I, I kind of want to unsee that. It felt a little, <laughs> a little too real. Um, I, I, I give Yelly a lot of props for the creativity or whoever created it, but it was, it was a little, it was a little weird to see him like that. Um, so yes, I did watch Tiger King. I, I watched season three of Ozark, which is one of my favorite shows. That was excellent. I thought it was probably their best season to date. Um, I already can't wait for season four, whenever that may be. Um, Schitt's Creek is uh, just a lighter, fun show that I've been into and is always a great watch. Um, trying to do a lot of reading as well and podcasts. So that's kind of, I'm trying to kind of check all the boxes, so to speak. Yeah. When Christian Yelich appeared on SportsCenter, I couldn't not see that image while he was <laughs> answering those questions. And it was really hard to pay attention to actually what he was saying during that interview. Yeah, it was the photo was a little too real. It just I don't know. It was really jarring to see him as Joe Exotic. But I guess, you know, maybe now he's a good Halloween costume ready to go or if the, the team comes up with some sort of crazy theme flight. Uh, at some point this season, maybe maybe Tiger King could be a theme, and he's got his his look prepared. Yeah, I, I don't put it past them whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I've told you this before, but you do an awesome job with your work, and I'm sure uh, a lot of people share that opinion. But I was also Thank curious you. to your process for that. You know, a lot of people they enter a new phase of their career, whether they're college students graduating or just people with experience who might be looking for, for something different or for a new start at a point in their new career, whatever the case is. One thing I wanted to, to ask you about was just what has been sort of like your biggest challenge that you've had to overcome to sort of get to this point in your career? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. I think because the challenges sort of change um, when, you know, when I was starting and, and 2013 was my first full season. It was my first opening day. And um, I had, I had started in 2012, but I was just doing some social media work. And then 2013, I was really given the opportunity to start reporting. And so I just think when I started, the challenge for me was 
I had this overwhelming feeling that I had to prove that I belonged. And then I had, I had to prove that I could do this job. I could do it well. I was prepared. Um, I had the right information. I knew the information I was sharing. I think I really, I struggled with that of sort of, I felt I had to be perfect. Um, cause I felt I had no margin for error of, Oh, you know, people make really quick snap judgments. Um, and it, that's hard, you know, that's hard to manage when you're, when you're starting and you want to make a good impression. Um, so that was, that was the challenge for me when I was starting and it took some time to kind of work through that. And, and really that was more just about building the confidence in myself and having the support of great people around me, like Brian Anderson and Bill Schroeder and Craig Kashan and Jerry Augustine, and even just from the brewers themselves, from the coaching staff and the players. Um, so I think that was the first challenge. I think the next one was, you know, not getting complacent of, okay, you know, how can I continue? Like, how can I continue to add? I think that was one thing, the, I guess the one consistent thing of how I try to do my job is, is what can I add? Right. Because Brian Anderson is going to do phenomenal play by play along with Matt LaPay or Craig Kashan whoever is doing it that series. Bill Schroeder has been a color analyst for more than 25 years. He's a former big league catcher, you know, and I learn a lot from those guys, but the consistent part of my job and how I approach my job every day and every season is like, what can I add? You know, what's the color that I can add? What's the human element? What is the trend? What's the storyline? What's the information? What, you know, maybe something that maybe a conversation I had that, can add to whatever they're talking about. And so that's kind of what I try to do every day is just to find that stuff of what can I add to the broadcast? What can I add to our show? And then it's not just what do I need today, but what do I need for the next game and for the next series and for the next trip? Um, Just trying to do the best that we can to inform and report and entertain and help this fan base feel like they know the players and the team and the organization and everything that's going on. So I think um, there's never one challenge and then the challenges just keep coming at you. Um, I think staying sharp and staying prepared, staying ready. um, All of that is, those are all daily challenges. So I think, um, I think it's, you kind of have to approach it like a player, right? Of, you know, your job is to perform and you have to do everything you can to be prepared to perform every day. Thanks for sharing that. I, I do appreciate that. And I think a lot of people will get something out of that answer. And I think with the second challenge that you mentioned is something that's really relatable just because people face that sort of still every day. And I'm sure you do as well in terms of trying to think of ways to um, make the most out of your opportunity every day in your line of work. Um, I want to go back to the first challenge that you mentioned quickly and something that I found interesting, uh, was, was there like a moment of, okay, I am doing this at a pretty high level, or I do feel like, um, I belong here that I'm doing this job the way it's supposed to be. Was there a moment that kind of changed things where like maybe your level of confidence rose or, or went up or anything along those lines? That's a good question. Well, I would say that one thing that that happened 
pretty much right away in that first season. Um, it was Memorial Day weekend of 2013, and Gene Segura was the shortstop at the time, and he let a infield throw. You know, he was throwing the ball in as we were coming back from a commercial break. I was on camera bringing us out of a segment to do something, and. Gene Segura lets this throw go. First baseman doesn't make a play. The the ball bounces and knocks the microphone out of my hand as I'm mid-sentence on camera. And I just picked up the mic and I kept going because I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't even know if the microphone was working at the time because it had just been knocked out of my hand by a baseball and went flying into the camera well and I picked it up and I kept going and I'm like well I don't know if this is on or not if it's working but we'll try it and I just finished up my segment and I threw it back up to BA and Rock and they were shell-shocked and they were like are you okay you know it was fortunately I was fine I wasn't injured but I think it was one of those moments that um, you couldn't replicate if you tried a hundred times it was sort of just that perfect storm of how everything happened and I happened to be on camera and fortunately I wasn't injured. And um, so that clip, you know, still exists on YouTube. Um, But I think it was one of those moments of like, okay, there's no way you could have prepared for that. Um, No way anyone could tell you how to handle that situation. You know, BA and rock were like, thank God you didn't swear Um, (laughs) or that you weren't hurt. Like anything terrible happened. So in hindsight, it was a kind of a funny thing, but it, w- it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, okay, if you can handle that, um, we can handle whatever else will, will come your way. So um, it was just, it was a weird thing that happened, um, but maybe just one of those moments that it was like, okay, it's, it's all going to be okay, right? Like, it's, we're all going to be fine here. I think you, in any sort of media, any live broadcast, whether it's a radio or TV, video, you do have to have some kind of moment where something goes wrong and then you make it to their side to believe that that will happen. Because before it happens, totally. in your head, if you play out that scenario, it's, it's the absolute worst thing in the world. And uh, you handle that with a ton of poise. I, I remember when that happened. I had the game on either at work or I was at home or something that day. And you kind of just pretended like it didn't happen. And that's pretty much the perfect reaction exactly. to something going wrong is to make it kind of seem like, oh, no, I, I expected that to happen. Yeah, like this is totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I think I think you're right. I think it's like that moment, and especially with live television, I think anybody who does live television will tell you they're still waiting to have their first perfect show. Um, there's no such thing as the perfect show. You know, we all make mistakes. Um, we'd all have things that we said that we would like back. Um, we've all misspoken. You know, I think we try our best to get it as close to perfect as possible, but you know, the human element seems to get in the way every day. So, um, it was definitely one of those moments where it's like, just expect something to go wrong and it'll be okay. And we'll just make the best of it. Kind of a a related follow-up question. What advice would you give to people who are looking for their first opportunity in broadcasting? I would say, you know, the, the really important part, I think, is no matter what you do to to do your job authentically. And I think to figure out kind of going back to like the challenges is like, OK, what can I add? Like, what am I bringing to an organization or a media outlet or 
a new job or a new position or a new opportunity? Like what, what can I add? What can I bring to this? What is unique to me? Um, what are the things that I like to do? And I tell students all the time, like the beauty of doing internships and saying yes to work opportunities is I find a lot of value in figuring out what you don't like to do. Like there's just as much value in that as knowing what you do like to do. Um, so I think just, you know, figuring those things out. And then when you get sort of a, a list of like, okay, here's where I think I have my strengths and here's where I think I can really add something or here's like a unique thing that I have that can translate to this. Um, then, you know, once you figure out what that kind of looks like, then find as many opportunities to get yourself as close to that as possible. Um, I think, you know, everyone's got like these dream jobs and I meet with students a lot, whether it's looking at resumes or reels or talking to them in a class or through a professor. And I just tell them all the time, I'm like, you just have to put yourself out there. You know, you have to hustle and you have to get internships and, you have to say yes to opportunities and, you know, you have to maybe take jobs where you don't think you want to be um, to figure out if, okay, is this the right thing for me? And, you know, you just, you have to put the work in, like there is no substitute for putting the work in. Um, and again, I think you, you learn a lot throughout that whole process. Um, and I, I just think like the biggest thing is just knowing like, okay, what, what do I have that I can bring to make this other thing better? I think if you, you can answer that question, um, that kind of sets you up pretty well. Yeah, I think everyone has you know different strengths they could bring to broadcasting or to any job. And, and leaning into those strengths while also maybe building up the weaknesses is one really good way to go about it. Um, one piece of advice I'll just throw out there too, you're going to get a lot of no's in media jobs. Absolutely. There's so much competition. Don't be discouraged by no's. It, you're you're going to get maybe a hundred no's before you get a yes sometimes. So um, don't be discouraged if the first 5, 10, 20 jobs you apply for don't end up being the jobs that you actually end up with. Uh, Sophia, we've been trying to bring some attention to local businesses and groups that have been working tirelessly to keep people safe, whether it's healthcare workers or truck drivers or grocery store employees. Just knowing that a lot of people and businesses have already been negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, are there any local businesses or causes that you want to shout out for doing great work in the community right now? God, there, I mean, there's so many that are doing such necessary work right now. Um, I will say that First Community Foundation made a really significant commitment to both the United Way of Greater Milwaukee and the Greater Milwaukee Fund just to address you know, immediate needs um, for groups that are in crisis and just meeting basic needs right now um, with so many people being affected by this. So I think that's been wonderful to see BCF step up as expected. Um, they're also doing a, a drive for charity starting this week, um, again, to help nonprofits here in Milwaukee help the community meet basic needs right now. So that's going to be an online campaign, which is a campaign they typically do at Miller Park. Um, and then, and then personally, um, I'm involved with the Milwaukee business journal, the 40 under 40 class. And on a group email, we had this idea to partner with local restaurants, local vendors here 
buy food from them and then donate it to a number of different hospitals and clinics. So I've actually spent a, a pretty good amount of time working on that project. We've been fundraising for, gosh, probably two weeks now and made our first round of deliveries to the hospitals and clinics last week and raised over $10,000 through a GoFundMe. And we were able to identify, I think, nine or 10 different local restaurants, um, buy products from them, everything from coffee, tea, sandwiches, wraps, soup, spring rolls, uh, cupcakes, cookies, and then distribute that to at least a dozen different hospitals, cancer clinics, um, skilled facilities across the Milwaukee area. So that's been really rewarding. And I think kind of serving two groups that are really affected right now, right, which is our great local businesses and vendors here in Milwaukee, and then giving that product right back to the healthcare workers who are doing the really hard and necessary work right now on behalf of the community just to keep us all safe and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a, a link that's still available on your Twitter account? Yes, I should have a link um, on Twitter and it's called Thank You Milwaukee Healthcare Workers. If you go to GoFundMe, you can find it there. Um, it's on behalf of the, the entire Milwaukee Business Journal 40 Under 40 class. So um, Milwaukee Business Journal has been a write-up on it and it's just been really re rewarding, I think, to be able to help out some of these local restaurants and then, you know, share their products and their goods with with the healthcare workers who are who are also really in need of some extra support. Yeah, absolutely. Just great causes all around. That's a really great idea that you guys had. I'm happy to bring attention to that, and hopefully we can um, we'll get the link in our show description too, so people can just click right on there and, and make a donation if they're in a position uh, to do that. Sophia, great stuff. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with you again soon, and maybe it'll be at a point where we get some baseball back down the road. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, and I hope you stay safe and healthy as well. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper, and of course, Sophia is at Sophia Minert. And again, you can scoop up a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 422. Get 40% off by going to that link. If you're not sure about subscribing right now, you can get a 90-day free trial by visiting the site as well. If you have questions you want us to get to on a future episode, send those our way via Twitter. If you enjoy this pod and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks again to Sophia Minert for taking the time to join us today. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.